Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, workers resist the United Auto Workers in Tennessee, environmentalists lament changes to an aggressive Obama administration rule, and the Supreme Court affirms that a World War I memorial cross does not constitute an establishment of religion. It's happened again. It's happened again. United Auto Workers, it's happened again. Volkswagen employees voted 833 to 776 against the unionization of Volkswagen's Chattanooga, Tennessee assembly plant. In 2014, workers at the same facility had rejected the UAW by a slightly larger margin. While the double defeat might make this union loss sound routine, the result was at least somewhat unexpected. Changes in local political dynamics, which saw the once strongly Republican region become more evenly split, and improvements in economic conditions broadly favorable to union organizing and aggression, should have dragged the UAW over the line to get its long-desired toehold in the southern transplant auto manufacturing industry. So what gives? For the UAW, you blame federal labor law, which makes organizing too darn hard. Unions and union-aligned Democratic politicians seek to obliterate the Taft-Hartley law that governs union organizing with the PRO Act, which would be the largest expansion of union power and privilege since the Wagner Act of the 1930s. Among other union favors, the PRO Act would give unions the right to obtain workers' private contact information, give bureaucrats the power to deem a union the winner of an election the union appeared to lose, and override all right-to-work laws forcing employees to pay for union representation that they do not want. But in reality, National Labor Relations Board data for 2018, the most recent year for which full-year results are available, show that unions win 69% of certification elections that go to a worker vote. So the UAW really should have won. But they lost. Why? First, one must consider the UAW's ongoing national corruption scandal. Officials in the Fiat Chrysler division of the union were involved in a kickback scheme that federal prosecutors have spent the last few years unraveling. Four one-time UAW officials, including ex-Vice President Norwood Jewell, have pleaded guilty. A number of Fiat Chrysler executives who allegedly used the scheme as, quote, an effort to buy labor peace, have also pleaded guilty. Second, while the comfortable pace of economic growth can impel irate workers to union militancy, it can also keep satisfied employees happy with rising wages and competitive benefits. And wages and benefits for Volkswagen workers exceed the local median. So are paying UAW dues and signing on to its social agenda really worth it? The Environmental Protection Agency repealed Obama administration rules setting nation and industry-wide standards for power plant emissions, replacing them with new rules that do not regulate the electricity generation industry nearly as strictly. The administration hopes that the rules will revitalize U.S. coal energy generation and production. The rules will also aid natural gas generation. The Obama-era rules, known as the Clean Power Plan, had not gone into effect. The Supreme Court had stayed their taking effect pending litigation by mostly Republican states, led by West Virginia and Texas. Trump administration says its affordable clean energy rule will reduce power plant emissions by 35 percent by 2030 relative to 2005 levels. Much to the chagrin of watermelon green socialist environmentalists like the Sunrise Movement, much of that improvement will come from power companies' own voluntary decisions, like replacing coal generation capacity with natural gas, much of it obtained by fracking. Meanwhile, California and New York have vowed to block the Trump administration rule. Had the Obama-era rules gone into effect, the likely outcome would have been substantially higher energy costs. Estimates suggested that the rules could have driven up national average electricity prices by 11 to 14 percent. Furthermore, macroeconomic impacts were projected to include an average annual shortfall in employment of 300,000 jobs per year. And this illustrates a problem for the revolutionary vanguard of the environmentalist movement, the sorts of groups that support the Green New Deal and its bans on air travel, private cars, and animal agriculture. While most people want a cleaner environment, 
when the costs of keeping in the ground, to quote 350.org leader Bill McKibben's vow to end all conventional energy use immediately, or a $90 trillion radical top-down socialist makeover of the entire U.S. economy, to borrow Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell's description of the Green New Deal, are made apparent, they balk. And even worse for the anti-coal and gas crowd like Mike Bloomberg, whom we discussed last week, the new energy economy they seek, a clean, simple replacement of conventional energy with wind, solar, and batteries, may be beyond the physical limits of supposedly mature technologies. For more on that, the Manhattan Institute released a report, The New Energy Economy, An Exercise in Magical Thinking, warning about false assumptions underlying these projections. So if the quick and easy just transition is a myth, where does that leave environmentalists? They're forced to argue that de-development, making people's lives worse, is necessary. It is why, in the words of Washington Free Beacon editor and Washington Post cultural critic Sonny Bunch, quote, Environmentalists make good movie villains because they want to make your real life worse. And boy do they. In a Twitter thread compiling examples of Bunch's law, one finds California considering bans on gas stoves, an article at environmentalist website Grist calling for lawns to be culturally stigmatized, and Data for Progress founder Sean McElwee calling for no more meat clogging your arteries and praising vibrant communities that will emerge after a ban on private cars. And in our final item, we have a conclusion to a story we covered in episode 63. The Supreme Court of the United States ruled 7-2 that the Peace Cross, a war memorial cross in the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C., did not, in fact, constitute an establishment of religion. But the court also did not overturn the Lemon Test that supposedly governs the application of the Constitution's Religious Establishment Clause. In the words of Amy Howe of SCOTUS blog, the Lemon Test holds that, quote, the law or practice is constitutional if it has a secular purpose, its principal effect does not advance or inhibit religion, and it does not create an excessive entanglement with religion. In his opinion for the court, finding that the cross passed constitutional muster, Justice Samuel Alito neither applied nor overturned the test. In a concurring opinion, Justice Brett Kavanaugh argued that the Supreme Court declines to apply it so often that the Lemon Test might as well not govern the application of the Establishment Clause. The ruling is a victory for the American Legion, a Veterans Association, the State of Maryland, and the federal government. A number of other veterans and military historical associations, among them the Veterans of Foreign Wars and the National World War I Museum, social conservative groups like the American Center for Law and Justice, and religious liberty organizations like the Beckett Fund, filed supporting briefs in favor of keeping the cross intact. The American Humanist Association, an anti-religious advocacy group, lost the case, with the aggressively social liberal American Civil Liberties Union expressing disappointment in the ruling. The decision has implications for similar war memorial cross disputes. The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is representing the city of Pensacola, Florida, which has a World War II-era cross memorial in limbo awaiting Supreme Court action. Appeals court judges had felt compelled by precedent to order its removal, but they exhorted the Supreme Court to amend the applicable precedents. The Beckett Fund expects action on the Pensacola cross case now that the Maryland case has been decided. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.